You're listening to. Whoa! Welcome back to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. Um, as always, my name is Marvin Yeh. And I'm Rira Yu. And for this episode, we'll be bringing you a special interview with Fonda Lee, the author of the recently released Jade City, as well as EXO and Zero Boxer. Um, as frequent listeners might know, Jade City was a book that I just completely devoured, uh, much to Rira's surprise. It's like... A really long book. <laughs> <laughs> um, we talked to uh, Fonda about her background as an author, about Jade City and her inspirations, and about the state of fantasy in modern literature. Uh, but before we get to that, really quickly, don't forget uh, our book club pick for this month, January 2018, is Pachinko by Min Jin Lee. Um, hopefully, you guys are all working your way through that. And if you're already finished with pachinko then you can start on our february book club pick everyone is an alien when you're an alien by jomini sun did i get that correct i'm pretty sure i didn't <laughs> um also if you're done with pachinko please um send us your thoughts on our goodreads forum we do love to hear what you think about our book club pick and we'll even talk about it during our discussion um again you can join our goodreads group by going to goodreads.com and searching books and boba and don't forget to introduce yourself um, and on that note, uh, here is our interview with Fonda. And we are here with Fonda Lee, um, the author of Jade City, Exo, and Zero Boxer. Um, I've only really read jade city it was one of my favorite books um of last year but we're so excited to have you on the call with us you're here calling us all the way from portland yes thanks for having me <laughs> um we scheduled this uh interview via skype when rira outed me as someone who binged through your book in like a day or two <laughs> but um I wanted I'm impressed. To s- it's, a, it's a fat book yeah it's, it's like over 500 pages i was so impressed by it it's one of those things where you know how um when you're young and irresponsible um sometimes you might you know overdo like watching like a series or um <laughs> play a video game um that happened with me with this book i um started reading it and then the sun came up. So, and then I ruined my entire work day the day after. Excellent. That is what I love to hear. I feel like the fairy godmother of sleep deprivation. <laughs> really, really happy. Yeah. But um, yeah, thanks for writing such an awesome book. And um, I was especially uh, excited after reading your Medium article talking about um, the state of fantasy and in, in fiction. Mm-hmm. And I uh, want to talk to you more about that later. But. Um, I'm sure our listeners would like to know like your background, how you got started writing, and what led you to write um, books like Jade City and science fiction and fantasy. Yeah, so when I was a kid, I was a big science fiction and fantasy fan. Ever since I was probably like eight years old or so, I was reading a lot of um, fantasy novels like the Prydain Chronicles and the Narnia Chronicles. And um, then when I got older, I got into... 
uh, Anne McCaffrey and Isaac Asimov and like all the kind of classic science fiction fantasy authors. Um, and I wanted to be a writer since I was really young. I think I was probably about 10 years old and I told my parents I wanted to be an author. Wow. But um, as it happens, uh, <laughs> they were not totally down with that idea and thought I should get a career that actually um, could support me. So <laughs> I went up and did the a classically good Asian American thing of um, getting a practical career. And I uh, went to business school and I spent over a decade in corporate finance and strategy. I worked for a lot of fortune 500 companies as a management consultant mm. and um, eventually ended up working uh, here in, in Portland at Nike um, in uh -huh. corporate strategy. So I, I had this business career going and, you know, in the meantime, I got married, had kids and, um, always kind of wrote as a hobby. It was just always this passion of mine. And at some point, um, it I just fell off the writing bandwagon. Life got super busy. I had a full-time job and a family, and and I wasn't writing anymore. I think it was when I wasn't writing anymore that I realized how much I missed it and how important it was to me. Um, and I was kind of reaching this stage in my career that I sort of had this choice um, did I want to kind of level up and go into, you know, ever <laughs> deeper into the world of general management and corporate finance? Or did I want to do something different with my life? And um, I kind of had this creative epiphany that I just I wanted to write stories. I want to write the sort of stories that I loved when I was a kid and um, you know, full of spaceships and magic and <laughs> so on. And so I, I did this big career shift. And it took me a few years to do it. Uh, but I basically uh, went part time. Um, and then I kind of uh, quit and <laughs> contracted myself back as a as a freelance business consultant. So I could work um, my own hours and take on the projects I wanted to while I was working on writing and I got more and more serious about writing. Um, I went to workshops, I went to conferences, I started writing every day. Um, I took an online course and just over time um, realized that I was in it for publication. I wanted to be an author. That was the career I wanted. So um, so it took me you know, a, a little while to kind of come to that realization. And, uh, and then once I did, it felt really, really right. Um, and I just started writing, um, writing stories that I, that, that were science fiction and fantasy, just naturally. That was what I'd always gravitated toward. Um, and my very first manuscript actually was, a was a, uh, Asian inspired fantasy about this girl who goes through a portal into a fantasy world and there's dragons. It was all inspired by like Chinese mythology and so on. Um, and that became my first trunked novel that never got published. <laughs> and then I wrote, um, and then I wrote Zero Boxer, mm. which is a, a sports in space story. It's about a, a prize fighter who competes in zero gravity. And that was a book that uh, got me an agent and got me my first book deal. Um, and then uh, my second novel, Exo, um, came out. That was also a science fiction novel. And then Jade City uh, was a passion project. It was not contracted. Um, it was the first uh, explicitly um, for the adult audience novel that I wrote. And uh, I just I actually kept working on it while I was writing um, uh, Zero Boxer and Exo. And it, um, it was this 
this combination of things that I just loved. I, I like to call it my my book of three M's: mafia, magic, and martial <laughs> arts. And uh, and it, you know, there's the that saying that write the book that you can't find but that you want to read. Yeah, um, that was that was this book for me. Uh, so I've been a martial artist for a very long time, and you know, just big fan of kung fu movies and wuxia. <laughs> And I also love like crime thriller, gangster films, got the Godfather and Goodfellas and the Untouchables, and um, and it kind of just blended together into this into this world, this fantasy world, and then you know all the epic fantasy influences. So it it was this this passion project, um, and I at the time I wrote it, I was thinking, you know. It was, is anyone else going to really like this other than me? <laughs> so it was one of those things that no, I didn't know if it would sell, but I loved it. I just kept working on it. Um, and I found a, and fortunately it, it ended up at a, with a fantastic editor and a fantastic house. And uh, it's just been a, a great ride since then. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, it seems like a very common path for a lot of, uh, especially Asian American writers to have like that first career first and then right. deciding, no, I really want to do this thing that I l always loved. And that's awesome that you were able to not only make that leap, but um, find success in it. And it's inspiring to a lot of people to know that this type of career is possible if you just, you know, because I think that's the thing. A lot of, a lot of us as kids, maybe because of parents, maybe because of just culture or just society's, you know, expectations of us don't feel like this is a possible thing that we could do for a living. Um, Absolutely. I mean, I think that you know, part of it is that I didn't really feel like there were role models. I mean, I didn't honestly think that author was kind of a job that I could do um, <laughs> in so far as like, I, I thought authors were just kind of like, you know, there are people out there, but I didn't know any authors. Yeah. And, you know, I certainly didn't know any uh, Asian American authors. I don't think I had a lot of authors come to speak at my school, but certainly, you know, none of them were Asian American. And you know, I think, you know, there, there's this, there's certainly a prevalence in the Asian American um, culture of, you know, you want to become a doctor or a lawyer, or, you know, business, <laughs> somebody who, who is a professional and, um, and on one hand, I don't regret the years I spent in corporate America. I had a pretty fulfilling um, first career, if you will. <laughs> but gosh, I look back and I think, oh, I wish I'd come to that realization about myself earlier in terms of what I really wanted to do. And it's something that really motivates me now when I go out to speak at schools, if I get invited to <laughs> talk in classrooms um, it really means a lot to me to be able to stand up in front of kids and say, well, this is a real job. This is a viable <laughs> this is a real yeah. job. You do this. Like, no, you, you know, there's not only three jobs in the world. There's, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of different options and a creative career is, can be incredibly fulfilling. It's not easy, but it is, it's, it's a viable option and, you know, don't, don't close yourself off from it. If you have that dream, pursue it. So it's really important to me. Yeah. I heard that uh, Jade City was your first adult fantasy novel. Um, Zero Boxer and Exo were young adult fan fantasy novels, if I'm correct. 
Uh, yeah, they were young old science fiction novels. Uh, was the process different by by any chance, or was it pretty much uh, similar when it came to world building and characterization? I would say the process in terms of world building and characterization were pretty similar. My young adult fiction tends to be on the on the upper um, age range of the category, so there's certainly crossover. I think most people who enjoy my adult fiction would also enjoy my young adult fiction and vice versa. So the process was, was very similar. What was different with Jade City was the sheer scope of the project and the complexity of, of multiple characters. So um, what I have with my young adult fiction is one main protagonist. And the, the world is just as fully developed in the background. But the story really is driven by the experience of this one young protagonist. So it's very centered and there's an obvious narrative progression, momentum based off of that. With Jade City, I had this cast of characters and it was really, um, really focused on this family and in fact on a society, but through the lens of this family. So there was a much larger scope in terms of what I wanted to accomplish. And there was a lot more character interplay. So it was, in a sense, it was like taking one of my young adult novels, but then like squaring it Mm. and and trying to, (laughs) trying to make all these rails run at the same time. Um, And that was this, this fabulous challenge. Um, And I'm really glad actually that I wrote my previous novels uh, when, before I, tackled this monster because writing young old science fiction and both of those novels are pretty fast paced action driven taught me to write um, with a great deal of of focus. And that was really helpful for me when it came to writing Jade city, because it was the sort of story that could have just sprawled out of control (laughs) (laughs) without previous experience also i don't think you could have added that um, hot steamy love scene in the your young adult novels you'll be surprised what? marvin <laughs> <laughs> yeah my um young adult fiction well exo in particular is um published by scholastic so they sell directly into schools um, <laughs> it's, it's a lot more a lot more limit on what I can get away with there. I have a I have a random question about your book EXO. Do you get a lot of uh, mentions from K-pop fans because uh, EXO is a K-pop band and I'm figuring that there is so some... This, this is hilarious. So um, <laughs> when I wrote EXO, uh, I, I, the title in my mind the whole time was EXO. And when it came time to send it out on submission, um, my agent and I were like, Oh, there's this other book called EXO. <laughs> and it recently came out. It's another young adult science fiction novel. And we were like, oh, you know, that's such a bummer. I guess we'll have... So we, we changed the title. We took it out on submission. Um, and then the publisher, when they bought it, said, well, you know, we don't really like the title that you sent it out on submission with. And we're like, yeah, we agree. And we went back and forth on titles for months. And then finally they were like, you know what? I know there's another book out there, but we really like the title EXO. So we're going to go with that. So after, (laughs) so (laughs) at that point, the band had not yet blown up and become huge. (laughs) And, um, 
it's funny to me to look back on it because I was all worried about, oh, there's this other book that's called EXO. <laughs> is that going to confuse people? I mean, that would be a complete non-issue because the only thing people think of now with the title EXO is the K-pop boy band. And I got actually caught up in a, uh, in a, in a um, fan war because... Oh, no. Some, those are intense. Yeah, so some <laughs> wow. fans... Or not fans, some... some haters of EXO who were unhappy with the band had a copy of my book and they threw down the stairs and like filmed themselves like they, they filmed. <laughs> so because they couldn't i guess they were mad at the band so they threw my book down they should have just thrown their album and a whole bunch of other fans got super mad and tagged me in it and so it is it is funny actually oh, wow Wow, that's rough. That's I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. <laughs> um, we apologize on behalf of all K-pop fans. Yes, yes, I do. I, I represent all of K-pop fans. No, no, I don't. Um, but I, I really love the setting of uh, Jade City. Like, I loved how there was this blend of Eastern cultures. It really reminded me of, um, like, Singapore and... Uh, like to some uh, Singapore, Taiwan, and to some extent, like Japan. I mean, I thought of Hong Kong right away. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, gangster films and like the triad. <laughs> well, and it's really interesting that you were talking about how this was like an aesthetic or setting that you've had in your mind for a long time because you know, like these are all the things that I remember growing up with as well, like gangster wushu films and like like the, the setting of like pre-war like Republic of China like Shanghai like with the gangsters wearing like really nice suits and you know the territory wars like that's something that I've wanted to see I was always wondering like how how can you like how can we bring that setting to to fiction and like your book totally does that and does it really well yeah I I I sometimes think like you know, Jay City is sort of a quintessentially Asian American book <laughs> because it's it's such a blend in my mind of influences uh-huh. um, that are both Western and Eastern. And you know, I haven't lived in Asia, and so in a, in a sense, a lot of like these you know wuxia films and like kung fu movies and so on that I watched um, when I was a kid and and throughout my life were like a form of fantasy and. Um, they combined with like all the Western media that I consumed and like the fantasy traditions from the West, as well as like, you know, roaring twenties, like gangster films and, <laughs> and all of that to create this blend. So it, it very much was this, um, this mashup, if you will. But um, one of the things that I really enjoyed doing with it was um creating a place that obviously takes cultural cues and historical cues, but is its own thing. And I think that was a really enjoyable challenge. And I think I succeeded because of exactly what you were both saying earlier, where it reminds you in some ways of Hong Kong and Singapore and (laughs) Japan and Taiwan, but it's not any of those places. And it's its own thing with its own culture. And I think that can be challenging because especially when you're writing fantasy, (laughs) there's a a lot of fantasy that's like obviously thinly veiled whatever, right? Like Game of Thrones, obviously England during the War of the Roses, right? Even if you look at like the map, you can 
can tell where, where the inspiration is taken from. Um, and so it was a fun challenge for me to create this world that was this blend of influences, but felt like it stood on its own. Yeah. And I'm wondering how, like, it must have been tough. Like, you literally came up with your own own culture and like like social hierarchy like it's it's (laughs) so much to to actually go through and research all of that and taking your research and like mixing it together to like like i don't know this book really seemed like a remix of a lot of like asian cultures and also like like uh I guess like gang lore because it's it's like you have the triads and then you have like it it really reminded me of um, like the Godfather like that family aspect but I don't think Asian gangs really have that kind of family aspect. I mean, certainly Yakuza, (laughs) certainly the Yakuza doesn't. So, yep, yeah, no, it's it's very much um, a blend and take it takes inspiration from exactly what you said, um, the Yakuza and triads and the Italian American mafia. And, you know, I, I researched like organized crime groups (laughs) around the world, um, and took the things that I liked, right. I took that familial aspect from, uh, the mafia and I took the, the sort of the hierarchy and also kind of like those the body mod as status from the the yakuza and the yakuza are also are are much more legitimate right like they're much more visible um publicly I mean, they have like offices and business cards and stuff like that <laughs> um that came into it and then like the triads you know there's the flowery um titles and uh you know the connection to martial arts and so all of those things came together um but I had to kind of make it its own thing. But and and part of the reason why um, I did so is because well, I'm a world building junkie. I've written <laughs> I've written three books um, in the last three years, and all of them have been in like different worlds. So I sometimes wonder why I do this to myself. <laughs> it seems like an awful lot of work. Um, but I I just love the process of world building. Uh, so Jade City was was a was a ton of fun for me to create. And then once I created it to kind of inhabit that world um, and, and populate it with characters. Yeah. So what led to the decision to make it a more urban fantasy than say a, I, I did, I did want to mention that because uh, a lot of fantasies are set in like medieval era or, yeah, or like Europe or like super like sci-fi, like in the future. But then this is like right. set in not even like present day really it's like set when like automobiles are still being made like tv's (laughs) new and like i don't really i don't really see that in fantasy so it really fascinated me yeah so um one of the things i really wanted to accomplish with jade city was a particular aesthetic right that just wouldn't have worked in a medieval time frame so when you think gangster stories you often think fancy cars and men in suits and guns. And so um, it really made sense for me to set Jade City in a modern era. And the other thing that I wanted um, to do was create kind of an analogy with our own world in terms of um, a society in transition and the challenges of modernization in this place that has this long history and tradition. So one of the things that I was thinking about is you know, a lot of the gangster stories that we're familiar with take place in 
periods like the Roaring Twenties and uh, you know the 1950s. So periods in um, America in which there was this great deal of economic growth and social change that also spelled a lot of opportunity for organized crime, for example. And uh, I put Jade City sort of analogous to the uh, post-World War II period in Asia, where you're, you've got these countries that are coming out of colonialism and war and going through this modern economic miracle of growth and prosperity, but that's also vying with all this old tradition that's present. So I had a really kind of deliberate um, reason for placing Jade City in a different time period than what you would think of as traditionally epic fantasy. I, I also really loved how um, even with the modern tech, there was also uh, actual magic involved. Like, like Jade actually uh, gave users uh, magic and only specific users too. Like it's a blood right. And I thought that was really interesting and added like a new uh, nuance to urban fantasy. Yeah. I mean, um, the world of KCON, the world of Jade City is very much a, it's a, a, a low magic world in the sense that there's just this one element of magic in an otherwise very recognizable kind of um, modern milieu. And what I love to do with fantasy is um, take the the element and in science fiction as well, right? You've got kind of your, your cool factor, your magic or tech element, and then play with, you know, what does that do in terms of all the ripple effects through society? Um, so I, I like this idea of um, having the magic be a resource that actually drives the economy and isn't, you know, some sort of necessarily like mystical, unknowable thing that's practiced by wizards or whatever. But it's this thing that's controlled by a country and other countries want in on it and other people want in on it. Um, so that creates all sorts of um, of great larger scope questions that can fold into the more personal stories. Like going back to what you were talking about, how in this book you were able to really expand on the number of perspectives. Um, like there are like four main characters in your story that you bounce between uh, perspectives on. Um, did you have a favorite person you, to write about? Or <laughs> Yeah, I, it was, it was, um, really fun for me actually to have this cast of characters because um there were so many ways to build characterization by using a different character's point of view so um you might get you know Hilo for example a chapter from his point of view but then you go to Shay and you see him from her point of view and it's you you get a different angle it's kind of like all these different ways to triangulate on the characters and um, what I really wanted to do, and you know, the thing that I love about um, The Godfather and about The Sopranos was, yeah, they're about these characters that are pretty ruthless, but at the core, there's this story about a family. And that was something that I very much had in my vision for this book, was that it would be a story about this family. And um, that, to me, necessitated like, this uh, these really... Um, nuanced family dynamics and the whole 
um, history that they have with each other and the roles that they play in that family were really important to me. Uh, and, and in terms of, did I have a favorite, you know, um, there were, they were all challenging and rewarding in their own way. And I tried very hard to not have a favorite. So whenever I felt like, Oh, one of them was maybe getting a little more favoritism. I saw that as a sign to make sure I built up the others, um, to the same extent. And it's been really fun to see the reaction since the book has come out because people have such widely differing opinions as to who their favorite is. Um, so there'll be readers who really like one character over the others. Um, and and it's, it's interesting to see that because I've come to the point where, you know, they're all like my children in a sense, and they all have their strengths and weaknesses. Maybe at some point I will say who my favorite is, but I don't want to because then readers might think they're safe and I really appreciated your female characters in the book because um, for me, it was like like when I heard that this was about like gangsters in kind of like a post-war fantasy uh, world, I thought, oh, is it going to is it going to be like The Godfather where it's mostly just male characters? But somehow like you were able to give female characters an equal, um, I guess, like an equal opportunity to shine and um like I guess my question is like uh was that intentional like did you um put in the extra effort to um make your female characters stand out just as much as your male characters yes in the sense that um I definitely from the beginning saw some strong female characters in the story and I think that you know the thing with um stories about gangsters is that Generally speaking, they are very male dominated and the female characters are generally victims or sidelined. So, you know, you mm-hmm, think about yeah. the Godfather, there's the, you know, you've got the, the characters who basically are very passive. They're sort of the typical mob wife, right? Um, and you kind of have to go into a more modern era, like, uh, you know, a, um, into the Sopranos to find like someone who breaks the mold, if you will. Uh, but the reality is that there are women in these mafia type organizations, right? I actually was, when I was doing research for the book, I came across these articles about how like a lot of the, um, a lot of the leaders of the mafia in like Sicily now are female because a lot of the men have been caught and put in jail. And so they're like (laughs) working through their wives in a sense. And so there's these women who are coming up through the ranks um, who have, who have large roles. Um, and actually there was like, um, a female Yakuza leader that was, um, the leader of the, of one of the huge Yakuza organizations for a spell, um, after her husband died. So it's not like there are no women, even in this really testosterone driven world, but it's also unrealistic to paint a world in which they have equal opportunity. And there's just as many of them as the men and they don't have any, you know, discrimination against them. That's also unrealistic. So for me, when I write fantasy, I'm really, I'm really um, stringent about trying to make my fantasy worlds feel as real as possible. And to me, um, having, having these powerful women also struggle with the fact that they are living in this patriarchal society that has this really macho kind of warrior ethos culture. 
um, was a source of a lot of good uh, conflict and um, interest. So I, I, I would say yes, definitely. And you, you will. We'll see more of them in the future books as well. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was one of the things I really liked about um, when you're building the world of KCON. It's within, you know, your the criminal underworld, the, the Green Bull Society. Like, it seemed like talent with um, with Jay, the magical power, was was equally acceptable in both male and female. Like you both you had you had a lot of women kicking ass in in the um, throughout your story, and that was that was really cool. Yeah, I mean, the other thing I, I wanted to do with um, you're, you're talking about kind of the underworld is um, I I wanted to kind of create this world where the green bones weren't um, they even though they came from like a a prior rebellion organization against these foreign occupiers they've since kind of become like the legitimate shadow government um so even though the book gets kind of shelved and um not shelved but sort of categorized as a crime thriller of sorts um it's also very different in that there's not kind of your typical um battle versus the police or against you know the fbi or what have you um it's very much of like uh, like society in which it is um it's ingrained a lot of this jade and the traditions and the warrior cultures have this long history and i liked um that idea and and kind of creating society out of that um because i think a lot of western gangster stories are based on this idea of, you know, the Italian American mafia and them being criminal organizations. But if you look at like the history of the triads, for example, they didn't start off what, as what they are now. They started off as these patriotic um, secret societies that were dedicated to overthrowing, um, you know, foreign uh, rule during the Qing dynasty. So there was all this tradition involved with the like nationalistic elements of the triad that you that we don't have in our our western conception of organized crime yeah and especially um throughout your book there's an ongoing tension about like do we protect what we have do we expand do we like this like like the the tension between becoming a global nation becoming a strong national nation right like that that is such like an Asian story to me because like like if you just look at Asian history like that is something that every single Asian country had to like deal with do we open our borders do we become a global nation so that's definitely something that I thought of when I was reading the book yeah um I also like really thought that the uh like the prejudice that were ingrained in in uh Jan Loon society was really interesting because like we you have like different ethnicities in the island and like some are uh, privileged and some aren't. And there's also like prejudice against people who can't use Jade. And like, it's, it's so like layered and detailed. And I, I really appreciated that. Right. And I, I think one of the things, you know, that we don't have in North America is like, well, thousands and thousands of years of history. Right. So <laughs> that's something that, that like, I mean, all things considered, we're such a young country in comparison to so many, uh, practically all of Asia, right? Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I really strive to do was 
to create a fantasy world that felt like it had been around for a long time, but had been through a lot of change in recent years. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you, during the lead up to the release of Jade City, you put out a, a post on Medium about how your views on on fantasy and how you know there's so much more we can do with the genre than than just the tip. And we, we and I were talking about um, the latest um, Tolkien uh, was it Amazon or Hulu deal and how. Oh, good. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're like they're remaking Lord of the Rings. Yeah, like into like an Amazon series and it's just like yeah, why? Yeah. Why? We already have like a perfect trilogy already. <laughs> oh, why? Yes. I had a, a a fit of rage over that as well. Um because and this was a a big part of my um point in my medium post was that no medieval Europe was like roughly like 20% of, you know, um, human history on the second smallest continent on earth, right? (laughs) There's, there's this vast store of human history and civilization that hasn't been exploited by fantasy writers. And to say nothing of the fact that, you know, there's, um, not only is there a lot of, of history and culture out there, um, there's a lot of readers out there that are interested in periods of time in history beyond, you know, medieval Europe. <laughs> so I think there's, I think there's um, just a lot of potential for where fantasy can go and what else we can do with it. And what's exciting is that we are seeing a lot more of it. Like if I look at the fantasy novels that have come out this year, oh, I yeah. can count, you know, many that um, are based in all sorts of different cultures and time periods um, and mixes of different inspirations. And I think in a way that we wouldn't have seen at all even 10 or 15 years ago. So there's a lot of great stuff that's happening in the fantasy genre. And um, I, I'm excited. I think there, there's, there's still a lot of, a lot of runway and we're seeing more of it. And um, I think each year, it's just opening up and there's in, in, in one sense, it's great that Lord of the Rings and game of Thrones have made fantasy so mainstream (laughs) because it has brought a lot more new readers, um, into the genre. It's now cool to be a fantasy genre reader. Um, just a super geek anymore. And, and that opens up the possibility of then looking beyond. Yeah. Like instead of another remake of the war of roses, why not? Warring States China, or I don't know, like I'm. I'm like actually that. like pretty excited that more Asian and Asian American authors are kind of reclaiming their heritage and writing, uh, like writing Asian inspired fantasies. Because for for a while now, a lot of non Asian authors were writing Asian inspired <laughs> fantasies, and and like I'm I'm sure some of them can like write well and did their research. But at the same time, it's like I would like to see representation from <laughs> own voices authors. So I, I'm actually really excited that uh, more and more Asian authors are are turning to their heritage to make these fantasies. Yeah, definitely. I also think you know, something that we as Asian American creators can do is blend and remix in a way that either, you know, Asian authors in Asia or um, 
white authors in North America can't necessarily do as naturally um, because because of the experience of having multiple cultural influences. And that's where you get a lot of really cool stuff is in the blend and remix. Um, you know, if you think about a director like Quentin Tarantino, like he just has just takes so many different movie influences and like mashes them together. Right. <laughs> um, and I think that that ability to kind of like do do remixing and um, and take influences from different sources can lead to some really cool fantasy work. Yeah. You know, that's how you end up with something like Jade City, which is you can see the tropes from like American crime fiction, but also the tropes from like wuxia and from <clears throat> like asian historical fiction as well right. as well as the magic part i mean i love that the magic in your your story is what gives them the ability to do like wushu stuff like fly through the air and stop bullets and and like shoot you know chi blast and stuff like that i also like right. how it's actually like from jade which is like kind of like a big symbol in in like chinese <laughs> culture <laughs> yeah right. Yeah, I mean, a lot of um, the premise for Jade City is kind of wish fulfillment because um, I've been studying martial arts for quite <laughs> a few years of my life. And, you know, I'm also a big fan of kung fu films. So I would like watch these films and be like, I've been training for a long time. I can't run up walls. What is the deal with that? Like, why, why can't I do chi blasts yet? Like, <laughs> and so it was like one of these, one of, one of these like, ways for me to reconcile the fact that I could like train in martial arts and still never achieve what like my favorite characters in Kung Fu films could achieve. And like, there must be a secret ingredient. There has to be something I'm not doing. <laughs> and so hence magic Jade. And, um, I liked the fact that I could take those sorts of tropes of the like magic martial arts powers and then almost like give and put them in sort of a like, logical framework that makes <laughs> yeah um i i do have a question it's, it's it's a pretty silly one um we we kept mentioning like kung fu films mafia films and uh and i i just wanted to ask like if if jade city got adapted into a film do you have like a dream cast in mind oh <laughs> so um <laughs> i i think i actually uh, did get asked this before by various people. And it's funny because um, one of the things my editor and I did when we were doing revisions on the book was start dreamcasting it. It was totally <laughs> like a like a, uh, a fun thing we started doing. And um, most of the of the people that we were tossing around are like too old for the roles now. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, oh, like a young Michelle Yeoh would have been like really good as Shay. <laughs> Um, and they were like, oh, we need like someone with the gravitas of like, maybe like an, like a, like a Tony Young for like lawn. <laughs> and then we were like, oh, oh, I did, I did decide Louis Tan would be an excellent helo. He would be a great helo. I think, yeah. um, you'd probably be pulling from that, the young cast of Marco Polo, all those, like right, they're all stunt yeah. people and they're, they'd all be able to pull off like Marco Polo or, um, into the badlands, like the, yeah, those, yeah, like, the current spate of like stunt slash actors. Right. <laughs> just like mentally yeah. seeing like a Pinterest board in my head. <laughs> with All these actors. Make the Pinterest board. Make it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see that though. I'd love to Gladly see. share that. That would be awesome. <laughs> Um, so I guess what, uh, what are you working on 
in 2018, I know you're working on the sequel to Jade City, um, and you're also working on sequels to your other books too as well, right? Yeah, so I have um, the the sequel to my um, science fiction novel, Exo, comes out this year. It's called Crossfire, and it'll be out in June. Um, so I cited about that, and then it's like just head down and working on, on uh, the second book, in the Green Bone Saga, and it'll be called Jade War, which we've Ooh. already gotten sign off on that title. Nice. And um, the paperback for Jade City will also be out this year. So I've it will it'll be a combination of um, continuing to work on some of my young adult projects, and then really um, focusing on getting getting this trilogy written. Sounds like a lot of writing. <laughs> a lot of <laughs> a lot of writing. <laughs> Well, I can't wait to read through Jade Warren one night again. But <laughs> um, do you do you have any, uh, I guess, like book recommendations for our uh, listeners out there? Mm, um, I do. So these are books that are coming out this year. Um, I am a. I really enjoy. Um, it's a. It's a short story um, that you may or may not have heard of. It's called the. Um, I, I'm going to mess up the title Pearl Rehabilitative Colony for Ungrateful Daughters, I believe it's called, but it's by um, Asian American author, Henry Lien. And uh, he is, he is using the world of that short story in a middle grade um, novel that comes out this year called Pea Sprout Chen. And it is a humorous um, story of, that is basically like, about it's like mean girls on ice but with swords and it's like this world that he's created where these characters do a combination of figure skating and wushu and it's just it's so this sounds like right up rira's alley oh my god (laughs) rira loves figure skating and okay so you have to yes pea sprout chen by henry lien and I am currently reading an advanced copy of um, R.F. Kuang's The Poppy War, which comes out this summer. And it is a... Uh, a so um, R.F. Kuang, Rebecca Kuang, is a um, student at uh, Georgetown University, I believe, who mm. has studied um, Chinese history in great depth. And this this book that she's written is... Uh, a fantasy novel that is um, based on the Sino-Japanese or Japanese war. And it is, I'm, I'm not quite done with it yet, but uh, it is epic and it is brutal. Wow. Um, so those are two, two novels that I definitely recommend keeping an eye out for this year. Yeah. That second one sounds like right up my alley. <laughs> so excited. <laughs> um. And I guess that'll do it for our interview. Thank you so much for uh, talking with us about your book and your writing. Um, and yeah, everyone should check out Jade City. Um, it is Marvin approved. I read it in a night and I don't regret it. <laughs> and check out uh, Fonda's other books, EXO and uh, Zero Boxer. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking Thank with you. us. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll, we'll talk soon. Okay. Take care. Bye. Right, bye. And that was our interview with author Fonda Lee. Check out her newest book, Jade City, um, and bookstores everywhere. 
And that'll also do it for this episode of Books and Boba. Thanks again for listening and helping us support books by Asian and Asian American authors. Uh, don't forget, the January book club pick is Pachinko by Min Jin Lee. So hopefully you guys are working your way through it. And don't forget, you can interact with the other members of the Books and Boba book club by going to our Goodreads group and, um, and posting. Um, we always love to hear from our fellow group members. And anything you post can appear on this podcast. So Yeah, like literally anything. It doesn't even have to be related to the <laughs> book. <laughs> um, I guess some, some last-minute housekeeping. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to us if you like the show. Um, give us a rating review on iTunes. And yeah, let your like if you have friends who are looking to get into reading, especially for their New Year resolutions. Um, this is a great way yeah. to keep track of your books. Yeah, like, please I guess. share our share our podcast with them and get them into the book club. Yeah, it's a very like small niche that we're in. So any any type of sharing or word of mouth, we really it appreciate. Definitely it definitely helps a lot. But on that note, uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Keep reading. This episode of Books and Boba was hosted by Marvin Yue and Rira Yu and edited by Marvin Yue. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of podcasts featuring unique voices from the Asian American community. If you like Books and Boba, you might also like Saturday School, a pop culture history podcast hosted by journalist Ada Sang and film scholar Brian Hu, who highlight and discuss classic Asian American films. You can catch Saturday School and the other great programs of the Potluck Collective by going to the website www.podcastpotluck.com.